In today's podcast, I want to talk a little bit about the new US President Joe Biden and um, his next steps and maybe also where the US is, you know, going. Um, and before we look a little more into that, I want to go back to his inauguration speech. And I just want to hear from you. How did you like it? Or what, what did you think of it personally? Well, personally, I felt that the message was uh, a good message, a good uh, inaugural address. Uh, it was a, a message about unity and about hope and about uh, our way forward as a country, especially given the events that happened on January the 6th uh, with the insurrection uh, at the Capitol as well as just in general, the, the past four years under the Trump administration uh, and the kind of divisiveness that has uh, been created within the country, uh, I felt that his message, uh, the tone of the message was one of uh, togetherness, of, of trying to chart a path together forward uh, as a nation. And I felt like it was uh, the right message for the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I mean, it was one of the few in your inauguration speeches that I actually watched live and was interesting. Um, and I, I think I also got this feeling, even though I, you know, I don't live in the US, that, you know, what you talked about, I mean, you, you really had this feeling that, you know, there was, you know, uh, a, or the new president seriously believes in these kinds of things and these values. And maybe we can talk a little later a bit about more what he actually has done already to like kind of support what he has actually said in there. So, you know, when we look at how he backed up what he said with his actions and for in, in regard to the inauguration inauguration speech uh, and, and the, uh, the whole process I have, you know, I, 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 I found it interesting because I saw some, you know, I don't know how it called it symbolic features during uh, the address, basically, because, you know, there were, you know, like presenters from different ethnic minorities. And it, it seemed to be like that, you know, Joe Biden really or intended and actually, you know, did it to to take everyone in the boat in, in one boat, basically. I don't know if you would agree with that. Well, I think uh, that has been the, the theme of uh, Joe Biden's uh, candidacy for president was that uh, he wanted to create a coalition of um, of people uh, from vi uh, very diverse backgrounds uh, because he wanted to um, create uh, an image that is indicative of the United States, right? We are a melting pot of, of different cultures and different ethnicities. And I think uh, it was on full display with his inauguration. Uh, people from all walks of life, all, um, uh, all backgrounds uh, were represented uh, for the most part uh, in the inauguration. That was interesting, yeah. I mean, so we, we already know how you found basically the, the, the inauguration speech. And I, I'm, I'm just curious, how was it, you know, received um, in the US in, in general? What, what was the feeling amongst, you know, you know, the you know, the amongst Americans, basically? I think uh, as a whole, uh, it was embraced positively. Uh, uh, people from the conservative side of the country, uh, I think, uh, appreciated the message that, uh, that Joe Biden delivered. 
there wasn't a, a huge sense of partisanship within the speech. I, I think uh, people from both sides uh, of the country, the, the conservative side as well as the, the liberal side of the country, recognize that at this very moment in time, we need to be unified, that we need to come together to address the issues that, that our country faces. Uh, and I felt as though, uh, from what I've read and what I've heard, that, uh, yeah, as a whole, the speech was embraced, uh, embraced well from, you know, from the mass majority of people. I mean, that's interesting also what you've just mentioned, because I think, you know, that the world and the US, so it was not only the Americans, but the world in general saw that this, you know, that uh, this experiment that started like four years ago, I would say to see if, you know, you if if uh, a division or if, if you know, if some more extreme views and opinions would actually lead to, you know, a better America or more unity and the opposite actually happened. And I think this is something that you know, I mean, also when you when when I read the, the, you know, the reactions from around the world or something, or especially like, you know, how Europeans reacted to to the, um, you know, the, the the speech. And so it was very positive and stuff. And I think like the whole world has has seen, you know, that, you know, you basically need to come together if you want to move anything forward. And, you know, taking a, a, a stance for something and, and not, you know, listening to anyone else about it is not really an effective way of how to move forward in, you know, in our society, um, you know, now and definitely in the future, right? Well, I, I think when, when Donald Trump uh, became president, he was a novelty. Uh, he had never served in politics. Uh, people did not quite know how he would operate in the political spectrum. And uh, I think there was a sense uh, of, of cautious optimism that even though he had a certain rhetoric or he had a certain style of speech, that he would uh, lead uh, the country uh, in a more uh, mainstream kind of way. Uh, and so in the beginning, I think uh, there were uh, a lot of people who were, uh, yeah, cautiously optimistic. They said, okay, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see how this plays out. I'm going give to him, give him an opportunity uh, to prove himself to be a capable uh, president, a capable, uh, the capable leader of the free world. Uh, but I, I think that quickly kind of diminished uh, as he uh, began to use very divisive kind of rhetoric uh, in his in his speeches and in his uh, in his tweets and, and and the things that he posted on social media and the, the interviews that he conducted. On the flip side, right, Joe Biden uh, is a known entity. He wasn't a novelty item, right? I mean, we all knew who Joe Biden was. Uh, he served in politics for forty years, uh, and he was seen, I think, uh, or he he's still new rather as president. But he's being seen now as uh, a steady hand, right? I mean, you know what you're going to get. It, there, there isn't a lot of unpredictability with Joe Biden because you know who he is. We, he's been around for a long time. And so I think with that comes also uh, a sense of uh, going back to normalcy, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to uh, tried and true practices that, that we believe to work. And I think the international community also appreciates that because there is a bit more statesmanship 
and a bit more yeah, predictability and, and how Joe Biden and his administration will conduct itself on the global stage. I mean, that was also interesting what you just mentioned. And I think this is something that, you know, for someone who is who is not, you know, um, you know, more aware of these things that I think what we underestimate is how much knowledge you actually need to function well as a politician, right? Because we always, you know, we were quick to judge and be like, yeah, I can do this job better. But, you know, as we have seen, like, you know, maybe even a more capable person with no political experience would have had, you know, faced similar results in the end, because it's, it's, you know, it might be generally true that if you haven't operated in this kind of environment yet, that it will be very difficult for you to, you know, speak, you know, to, to walk the walk and talk the talk, if you, if you know what I mean. I think this is, this, this might also be one of the reasons. I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I think prior to Donald Trump, uh, you know, uh, businessmen, celebrities floated with the idea of, of running for president. We had Arnold Schwarzenegger, who became the governor of California. And so uh, there were examples of, of people coming from, uh, or let's say not coming from a political background to, uh, to executive government positions. Uh, but it was up until Donald Trump that I think uh, we recognize that uh, not having any political background may be more of uh, a liability than an asset to, to a person. And I imagine that now going forward, it's gonna be more difficult uh, for people without any political background to run for president mm -hmm. and win a nomination for one of the major parties uh, in the country because of Donald Trump. And because maybe of this skepticism that uh, a person who doesn't have any political background can know how Washington works to be able to get things done uh, so that we move the country forward. Because it's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to say, I'm a businessman. I run a, a big corporation or a big company or maybe even a small company, uh, but I know um, how to uh, get Washington to work for the people. Mm -hmm. You know, depending where you come from, of course, if, if you're a supporter of Donald Trump, you will say he did a, he did a very good job. Uh, but uh, if you look at his record and if you look at what he was able to get done, um, his resume is quite short, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and it may be, I'm not, uh, I'm not analyzing his presidency, but I think it may be due to the fact that he didn't have the political acumen uh, and the political background. And also he didn't necessarily surround himself with people who had uh, a huge, uh, you know, amount of experience from mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, from the public and governmental background and the political background. And so- So are you uh, saying what, what is also important is that basically, you know, these like, if you're an established politician, you, you have the trust of people as well in a way. And if, if you know, if you don't have, you know, this kind of, uh, um, status or, or, you know, this kind of like, I don't know, that you, you might be, uh, you know, people don't know what to expect. And that's why, you know, they might not trust you as much as they would if they know that someone has been in the political scene for like 25 years and they know this person's not a loose cannon, basically, but they know what to expect. Is that also an aspect? 
Well, I think it's it's the naivete, right? I mean, if you don't come from a political background, like I said, it's easy to to say you're going to do this and you're going to do that. But you may be naive about what you can actually get done because you don't maybe fully understand the complexities that that go into politics, right? It's it's not just making a bill and voting on it, right? There's backdoor willing and dealing that hap- that has to happen. Uh, that I'm not necessarily saying is a good thing, but uh, it's a part of politics, right? And if you don't understand how that works, and if you don't understand what it takes to, uh, to get your vision into action and into law, then, you know, are you going to be viewed as success? And, 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 and to your point, are people going to trust that you are the person uh, to get the job done? Uh, and so I think going forward, I think personally, uh, people may have uh, a more positive view of politicians running for president as opposed to, you know, people who don't have any political background trying to to run for president. Interesting. I, I can see that. Um, so let, let's let's move on with like a question that I would have about, you know, you know, the future, like where do you think the U.S. is, is going under Joe Biden? Like you said in his, you know, speech, he talked a lot about unity and, you know, that people need to come together to, to solve the, the, the problems that are imminent. And I was wondering, like, you know, I mean, this is something that you probably are more aware of than than, you know, me or, or others, you know, who are, you know, not living in the U.S., for example, but, you know, in, in Europe, for example, there was, in, if I looked at the, the, you know, the news after, you know, he became the president, there was a lot of talk about, you know, these executive orders that he has, you know, signed and, and the things he has, you know, reverted and stuff. And I, and I was just, maybe you, you can give us more specifics, like what has he actually done and, and, to, to back up what he was was talking about, if you can give us a bit more details about that. Well, so I, uh, Joe Biden ran on this platform of, of unity and he talked about it in his inaugural address, uh, but also putting that into action is, is challenging as well. And uh, in his first few days as president, he has signed many different executive orders. Uh, basically an executive order um, is uh, the president Uh, um, directing uh, the government to take a certain action. Uh, It can be challenged in the court of law. So someone can sue the president and say, this executive action is illegal, you can't do it. But a president has a right to to sign an executive action. Uh, And Joe Biden basically in his first days as president has signed executive actions to undo executive actions that Donald Trump signed Mm -hmm. into law. And uh, I think uh, many people on the conservative side of the country, uh, they are taking a little bit of grief with that because Mm -hmm. they view it as uh, not a sign of unity, but a sign of divisiveness that that Mm -hmm. Joe Biden isn't uh, trying to uh, pass laws through Congress uh, Mm -hmm. as uh, as much so as he's trying to do it on his own. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, now... I think what Joe Biden's administration and, and the supporters of Joe Biden would say is, well, he's doing what needs to be done, right? The executive yeah, orders that yeah. he's signing um, are executive orders to uh, re, uh, reestablish certain, <laughs> certain uh, moral characteristics of the United States. I mean, you know, one of those yeah. being 
stopping deportations, uh, reuniting kids with their, their families that were separated at the border, uh, signing uh, executive orders regarding climate change and the environment, uh, student loans. So he's, he's, he's taking actions that I think uh, are supported by the majority of the people. The majority of the people say these are certain things that, that need to happen and they need to happen quickly because people's lives are being directly affected by these, these orders. Another one is the Muslim ban, right? The, the mm -hmm. ban on, yeah. on people from Muslim countries, right? He, he got rid of that. Uh, so, you know, he's taken actions that I think the majority of people agree with and support. Now, to your question, how is this going to play out yeah. going yeah. forward? Uh, that's the million dollar question. And I think uh, what the Biden administration is trying to do is trying to craft policies that um, that both sides of the country can can come to some agreement mm -hmm. on fairly easily, uh, because mm -hmm. there are certain issues in the country that need to be addressed and they need to be addressed very quickly um, and they cannot um, be addressed or maybe it's not, uh, not best to address them through an executive order, it's best to address them through Congress and through passing laws. So I think his administration is going to try to put a, a big effort into passing laws that can gain bipartisan support um, so that there's a show of unity, so that there's a show of um, you know, togetherness within, within Congress. I mean, this is a question that, that adds on to this. Like, I, I mean, in, in the news, we always hear about this, like, I'm not so familiar with, with this either. Um, and don't know, I mean, I know roughly how it works, but not exactly how it works, but they always talk about, maybe you can explain it a bit more. They always talk about, you know, if a president doesn't have a majority in the, in the um, House of Representatives or in the Senate, that it's difficult for him to, you know, to pass laws and stuff. Where's the connection there? And, and how is the situation at the moment in the US? That would be interesting to know. So um, in order to pass laws in, uh, in the United States, uh, they have to go through Congress. And Congress, in Congress, there is the House of Representatives, there is the Senate, and then there is the White House, right? Mm -hmm. So um, basically, whoever's in control <laughs> of those three those three entities uh, has a big say in, in whether or not the laws get passed. At the current moment, uh, the Democrats, which Joe Biden is a Democrat, he's part of the Democratic Party, the Democrats hold a uh, supermajority, meaning that they control the House of Representatives as well as the Senate and the White House. So therefore, uh, the the theory is, or the idea is, yeah. it should be fairly easy for Joe Biden to pass uh, laws that, that he wants to pass. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than that, because what ends up having to happen is, or the way laws are passed, rather, mm -hmm. is the House of Representatives, they debate mm -hmm. and they vote. Mm -hmm. and, um, and once they vote on a law, it gets sent to the Senate. Mm -hmm. And then the Senate has to debate, and then they have to vote. Mm -hmm. And if there's a majority of, of, uh, of votes, uh, then the law is passed and it's sent to the White House for the president to sign into law. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a very simplistic way of, of okay. how it works. 
Now, like I said, currently the Democrats uh, have control of the House of Representatives. So basically, they send laws to the Senate to debate. Now, in the Senate, Democrats have control, but it's a very, very small mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. level of control. So at the very moment, uh, and just so the viewers understand, in the Senate, there are 100 senators Mm -hmm. uh, in the United States government. Uh, is, is there's that two, two senators for each state, right? Yeah. There's two senators for each state within the United States. Right now, it's a dead split. So there's 50 Republicans and there's 50 Democrats mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. In order to break the tie, the vice president has to vote. Mm -hmm. Now, the vice president, Kamala Harris, is a Democrat. Mm -hmm. So this is the reason mm -hmm. why Democrats now have a supermajority and they control mm -hmm. the Senate because she is the tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. Where this becomes complicated is not all Democrats are very liberal Democrats. Some of them are very moderate, okay. uh, centrist kind of Democrats. And so not, not every Democrat is like Bernie Sanders, right? Okay. And, and Bernie Sanders is, is a more liberal kind mm -hmm. of Democrat. Uh, so, so, so does when, it mean like when, 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 you know, if it's a decision has to be made that you would actually have Democrats not voting for a, a law that, you know, was suggested in the House of Representatives or is that right? So, okay. so, th so this is where it gets complicated because mm -hmm. it's not a guarantee that mm -hmm. every Democrat is going to vote for a law that the House of Representatives sent over for them to, mm -hmm. to debate. Uh, it's also not a guarantee that every Republican Mm -hmm. is going to be against the law because right now there's some very moderate Republicans uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Mitt Romney from, from the state of Utah, Susan Collins from the state of Maine, Lisa Murkowski from the state of Alaska. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're very moderate Republicans mm -hmm. who uh, we consider them like a swing vote. Right? Okay. They, they could go either okay. way. Now, they tend to be more conservative and support conservative uh, values. Yeah. Uh, but they have shown uh, uh, a very uh, independent kind of streak of willing to go against their party, uh, you know, in order to get things done. So there isn't a guarantee that because of the Democrats control the House of Representatives and they send a law to the Senate, that all Democrats are going to get on board and going to support it. And that means it's going to be sent to Joe Biden, you know, for, uh, you know, for him to sign into law. Interesting. I mean, something that you you've talked about, and I think that is also be is is being discussed is, you know, what you, should you do with like the 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 student debt, basic student loan debt. In the in the previous um, podcast, we you when we were talking about the university system in the U.S., you we 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 talked about you know how expensive a university education is in the U.S. and just to to um, you know, mention the numbers again. So if you want to do a bachelor's degree in the US, you have to pay between around $60,000 to $300,000 or more for, you know, an average of four years of studies. And um, also looking at the, the facts and figures, the average US American student ends up um, with um, $32,000 in student loan debt. And I heard there was a discussion about, you know, what, what, what is happening in, in this kind of respect? So student loan debt is uh, a very big topic right now in the United States. And it's been mainly fueled by the pandemic. 
because uh, due to the pandemic, uh, student loan repayment has been frozen. So uh, now let, let me be more specific. Uh, if you hold loans through the federal government, those loans have been frozen. Now, if you have loans through the private sector, say through a private bank, uh, then those loans may or may not be frozen depending mm -hmm. on that, mm -hmm. that bank. Uh, so at the moment, uh, student loan repayment is frozen. Now, there has been a lot of talk about, okay, this may be a moment for the United States to reform not only education, but student loan debt as well. And there are different ideas that have been, been placed on the table. Uh, one idea that's been, uh, been supported and promoted by uh, Bernie Sanders and the very liberal wing of, of the Democratic Party um, is total loan forgiveness. So to basically wipe the slate clean and to forgive every single student loan that currently exists. And there's currently- Oh yeah, I was about to ask, do you have a number yeah. on this? How much would that roughly be or? So currently there's approximately 1.3 to 1.4 trillion dollars. Uh, that's with a T, <laughs> trillion dollars uh, in student loan debt. Uh, and so uh, Bernie Sanders argument and, and the liberal wing of, of the Democratic Party's argument is uh, let's remove that burden from students or, or people who are paying student loans. Uh, because if we relieve them of that burden, they will be able to contribute towards the economy more, which will, will help revive the economy and push uh, economic growth uh, within the country. Mm -hmm. Now, the more moderate Democrats uh, don't support a full uh, uh, student loan forgiveness for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's been proposals of, uh, for example, Elizabeth Warren, who also ran for president, uh, from the state of Massachusetts. She's proposed uh, for giving up to $50,000 mm -hmm. uh, in student loan debt. Uh, at the current, uh, or at least the last time I read, uh, Joe Biden uh, has proposed uh, more or less about $10,000 uh, in student debt you know, at the moment. Now, he's, mm -hmm. I think he's open to maybe more than that, but he wants to start small and then you know, see, see how it goes because Joe Biden's position has been, um, he wants Congress to work it out, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so he wants Congress to come to an agreement mm -hmm. on how to deal with student loan debt. Now, many scholars mm -hmm. uh, say that actually Joe Biden has the power to forgive student, all student loans okay. if he wants to. Mm -hmm. The way the laws are written, he has the power today to sign into law full student loan forgiveness if he wants to do it. Uh, Joe Biden says he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't believe uh, it would hold up in a court of law. Mm -hmm. So if somebody sued the government saying that's not right or that's, mm -hmm. uh, that's illegal, mm -hmm. then he doesn't believe it would be able to stand up you know, in the court of law. So he wants Congress to work it out. Mm -hmm. Now, the way Republicans view it and the proposals that, that Donald Trump and the Republicans put forward over the past four years was not any student loan forgiveness, but rather... Um, allowing more flexibility mm -hmm. for repaying the loans. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, uh, making the, re uh, re um, the repayment plans more flexible um, to give students mm -hmm. uh, a more uh, broad and easier way to repay the loans. Mm -hmm. uh, so the topic is one that's currently being debated uh, in the public discourse. 
we'll see what happens. Uh, but my feeling is that there will be some level of student loan forgiveness. It's just a matter of how much uh, is going to be forgiven. Interesting. And and do you, is there any discussion about how this will you know continue in the future? Is is our universities going to be for free? Because we talked about it in like one of the previous podcasts that you know there are several countries in the world where you know I mean not the majority I guess but there are, there are several countries you know where you know, university education is, is basically for free. And is this a model that the US might be willing to adopt? Are they, is it actually possible, you know? What, what, do you know anything more about that? So this is also being openly debated at the moment as well. Uh, what Joe Biden has uh, supported in the past, or at least when he was running for president, was to make all uh, community colleges free. So, really so small. what does that mean? Because like, because um, like for the listeners and someone who's not very familiar with the US, like what, 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 is, the, the, what is the difference between a community college and the university? Or is there a difference between, you know, a community yeah. college, a college and the university? Like maybe you can extend on this a bit. So uh, if a student goes to a community college, it's generally a two-year program. So mm -hmm. once they graduate, they finish with what we call an associate's degree. Uh, mm -hmm. Now that degree can be used to go on to university mm -hmm. or to a, another level of education, but generally speaking, it's a two-year type of program, whereas a university is geared towards a four-year mm -hmm. type of program and you come out with, uh, or you graduate with uh, a bachelor's um, and maybe even potentially a master's depending on uh, the program of study. Uh, so it's a shorter, Uh, it's a shorter program and uh, because of that is generally cheaper as well. Mm -hmm. So what, uh, what Joe Biden has shown support for it and also other, other politicians as well, I think from both, both sides of the aisle, Democrats mm -hmm. and Republicans mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to make this level of education free for everybody. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that still doesn't address the issue of university and how much mm -hmm. the cost of university is um, because that's where the majority of, of students end up. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's a little bit more complicated. Uh, mm -hmm. Politicians yeah. like Bernie Sanders and the liberal part of the Democratic Party, they want to make all public education free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So from, mm -hmm. from kindergarten through four mm -hmm. years of university, It's free, uh, but even moderate Democrats and even moderate Republicans also say, well, even if we can't make it free, we have to okay. do something to make it more affordable. Okay. So we need to do something to control the cost of higher education, tertiary education, because right now it's out of control yeah. Uh, yeah. and it increases every year. Uh, yeah. So every year it becomes even more out of control. Yeah. So. Uh, there's still an open debate about how to make it more affordable, uh, what mechanisms need to happen or, or to be put into place to do that. Uh, but I think there's a, there's a general consensus that uh, there needs to be something done about the cost of okay. uh, tertiary education. Okay. I mean, this is interesting what you mentioned, because I mean, um, now I'm, I'm living at the, in the UK at the moment and um, the university system there is like, you know, is interesting because basically it doesn't really matter to which university you go to, you have to pay the same amount of money. 
So if you go to, you know, I don't know, if you if you go to to a, I would say a, a normal university, or if you go to Oxford or Cambridge, you still have to pay the same amount of money. And from what we we've talked about, you know, is that you know in the U.S., for example, we have these like elite universities that charge, I know, sixty thousand or more for for um, a year of tuition or, or fees. Um, and this is something. Is this a model that might be introduced in the in the U or might have a, you know, the potential for being introduced instead of like you know that you that you make it fairer that you like you know it doesn't really matter where you go because you have to pay the same tuition fees or is this something that you think i mean this is just an assumption that you need to make at this point um is this something that is is there a talk about this or is this something that you think would actually work or just if you can answer well i think uh, in an ideal world it would be nice <laughs> the, the problem is uh i think even the universities would push back against this 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 mm -hmm. one fee kind of system where you know no matter where you go, it, it costs the same amount because uh, in the United States, these, these universities want to be able to differentiate themselves from, from other schools. And I think uh, they would be probably not happy if, mm -hmm. if, you know, a student could, if a student could, if the student has to pay the same amount to go to uh, the University of San Diego as they do to go to Harvard, right? I mean, I, I think there would be some mm -hmm. kind of pushback against that. Uh, but right now, to be quite honest, quite honest with you, um, I, I don't really know what uh, is being discussed as far as if we don't make it free, then how do we make it more affordable? Um, I, because just handing out money, we talked about this in the past, in the, in the previous, uh, in the previous uh, episode that we did about tertiary, tertiary education, in that basically you know once you graduate from high school students are given this money these loans to go to school and mm -hmm. you know they many times they don't fully realize and understand the magnitude of what they've done until mm -hmm. they graduate or until they finish their education and then they have to start paying them back and so i think uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk about having more accountability around handing out this money okay. right because okay. listen if you're 18 oh, years it, old, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's just like, old, yeah, sorry, it, it, I was just saying it, it's just like when you, you know, want to have a, a credit or from a bank or something, and basically the bank doesn't check any of your background, it's like, oh, yeah, you exactly. know, like, yeah, well. exactly. So if you're 18 years old and you go to a bank and you say, I want to borrow uh, $50,000 to buy a car. Yeah they're probably not going to loan you that money, right? Because you don't have a good enough credit history. Yeah, you haven't yeah. shown yourself capable enough to repay that money back. But it's not the same with student loans. I mean, literally, the government will hand you $50,000 and say, here you go, good luck. And, you know, you're responsible for that when you, when you come out. And like I said before in the previous episode, many times students don't fully recognize mm -hmm. and realize you know, the magnitude of what they've done until they get that first uh, notice in the mail saying, now it's time to start paying it back. And this is what your monthly payment is going to be. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, discussion around student loans. How do we give student loans? How are student loans managed? Uh, and, you know, how that all works. Now we currently in the, in the US, we have what we call the Consumer Protection Bureau I think that's the name, the Consumer Protection Bureau, uh, which is tasked with 
protecting consumers. So mm -hmm. con uh, protecting consumers against uh, fraudulent kind of or predatory kind of bank activities, mm -hmm. uh, even when it comes to, to student loans as well. And so uh, we do have um, uh, a government entity that is trying to work on behalf of Americans to make sure they're not being lured into, um, into taking loans or, or taking on debt without realizing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, because we had an issue that came up, oh, maybe a few years ago, where, uh, so in the US, we have what we call for-profit schools, mm -hmm. for-profit um, universities mm -hmm. so basically they're out to make a profit right mm -hmm. i mean they're in okay. education but their goal is their end goal is to also make a profit well some of these schools went bankrupt mm -hmm. and uh or lost accreditation okay and so students who went to these schools or students who graduated from these schools they argued well my degree doesn't mean anything anymore this this the school doesn't exist doesn't anymore exist. Okay. uh so, and, and now I have thousands of dollars in student loan debt. So what am I supposed to do now? Because I, a, a company won't hire me because they won't accept my, my degree from the school anymore. But now you're wanting me to pay back these student loans. So we ran into this issue where, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, where the students basically asked the government to forgive okay. these loans completely, fully, mm -hmm. 100%. Forgive all the loans from these schools that went bankrupt or lost accreditation, these for-profit schools that mm -hmm. basically no longer exist. Uh, I, I say this to say, uh, as a part of the reform and the part of the change that has to happen mm -hmm. with education and student loan debt, there has to be a mechanism in there. If, if education isn't gonna be completely free, mm -hmm. there has to be a part that okay. protects okay. the student and educates okay. the student and make sure the student realizes and understands what they're getting into. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I think this is what you said, if it, if you like, if you're young at the age of 17, 18, like, and you're just, you know, starting your adult life, basically, like you don't even know because nobody teaches you at, at secondary school, you don't know how to handle money and these things, right? And what you're saying, I mean, you're not fully aware of what it means to have like $60,000 in debts or something, or maybe 30,000 or whatever it is, but like tens of thousands, right? And that this kind of will, of, you know, haunt you throughout the rest of your, your life if you don't manage to get like a high paying job or something, which I don't think is the norm, right? So it's not like you're going to find a job that pays you like, I know, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 a year that you're like, I can pay this off very easily or something, you know? So that was interesting. I mean, something, my last question about this topic would be like, I mean, this is again, this is like an assumption that I, you need to make on your part. I know, you know, you're not an expert or something, but I'm, I'm wondering where do you think the US is headed in the next um you know, four years, maybe eight years or something, but maybe where is it headed in the next four years? What do you think is going to happen? Do we, are we going to see any major changes or anything? Like I said, I know you're not a politician or, uh, you know, you cannot uh, look into the future, but but what do you think is like on the horizon in the near future? Well, I, I think uh, in the US, we're going to see probably big changes when it comes to the environment. Uh, the Biden administration has... Uh, put together a team of, uh, of experts uh, and professionals who uh, take climate change and protecting the environment very seriously. So I think 
in the near future, we're going to see um, laws being presented and debated about what do we do about fossil fuels? Um, what do we do uh, about clean energy? Uh, the US rejoined the Paris Agreement or the Paris Accords. And so what does the US do about uh, the global community? What does the US do about addressing poorer countries who maybe aren't able to economically and financially uh, meet the goals of the Paris Accord? What is the US going to be willing to do about that? I think these are all questions mm. that are going to have to be answered uh, fairly soon uh, because of the aggressive nature at which, at which the Biden administration uh, is, is going when it comes to uh, the environment. Um, I think the other thing is going to be um, infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So both Republicans and Democrats have been talking for years and years and years about uh, how do we fix our crumbling infrastructure, roads, bridges, uh, you know, buildings, these kind of things uh, to bring them up to 21st century standards. Uh, you know, Germany has very nice, I think, a, a very nice uh, yeah. infrastructure yeah. system, yeah. Uh, I think. For most Germans who come to the U.S., they may be a little bit surprised at, at you know, the, the condition of some of our, uh, of our infrastructure. And so I think this is something that probably the Biden administration will, will try to also get done because there is bipartisan support okay. that something needs to happen. Um, I think we're also probably going to see something with health care uh, mm -hmm. relatively soon. Uh, the Biden administration, uh, or Joe Biden rather, ran for president on a platform of making healthcare more accessible mm -hmm. to Americans. And given that we're in a pandemic and that many people mm -hmm. uh, are in need of, of health coverage, uh, I think he's probably going to push this relatively hard in the near future. Because remember, yeah. he's a new president. Mm -hmm. So he has a certain level of political will uh, and, and political capital rather. To, to try to get things done. Basically political capital being Republicans are gonna give him the benefit of the doubt for a very short amount of time and say, okay, uh, we, yeah. wanna, we wanna show of you know, unity, we wanna, we wanna show a bipartisanship, so we're gonna allow you or help you to, yeah. to get something done. It only lasts for a short or, or a very small window of time. So I think in this very small window of time, uh, he's mm -hmm. probably going to try to address uh, these issues among maybe other ones like immigration as well, because this mm -hmm. is also a, a big issue right now in the U.S. The problem is we have a lot of big issues that need to be addressed. <laughs> every country uh, has, right, in a way, like, you know. Well, every country has, but I think there's a lot of issue, big issues that have been neglected. Mm -hmm. You know, not over, not even, I, I'm not even blaming Donald Trump for this or the, the Trump administration. These are issues that even go back to the Obama administration that were never really addressed mm -hmm. properly. And, you know, have now, things are now coming to a head, right? They're, they're, they're coming to a point mm -hmm, where mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. has to be done. And so, yeah, I think the path forward uh, over the next four years is going to be, I think an aggressive one. Uh, mm -hmm. Because here's the other thing you have to remember as well. We have these uh, political cycles. Mm -hmm. Every two years, there's an mm -hmm. election. Uh, now, every four years, there's an election for a new president, but okay. every two years, there's an election for members of the House of Representatives, members of the Senate. Mm -hmm. So many of these congressmen and congressmen, uh, congresswomen are up for re-election, mm -hmm. and they need something to take back to, to their constituents okay. to say, hey, I did this. I got this done for you. Uh, you know, your, your community is now safer, better than it was before. 
um, because they want to stay in power. The, the second thing is, because of this political cycle, it doesn't necessarily mean that Democrats are going to maintain a supermajority mm -hmm. uh, in the government. So in two years, when there's mm -hmm. an election, Joe Biden could very well find himself in a position where the Democrats no longer control uh, both houses of, okay. um, of Congress. So I think that's going to be another incentive and motivation uh, for him to try to get as much as he can get done in these first two years, because he learned, I think, from the Obama administration, right? Mm -hmm. When Obama became president, President Obama uh, or Barack Obama became president in 2008, mm -hmm. he also had a supermajority. So Democrats controlled both the House of Representatives mm -hmm. as well as the U.S. Senate. And he was a Democrat, so they controlled the White House as well. And really, there were only a handful of major pieces of legislation that he was able to get done, one being health care which we now call Obamacare, uh, one being uh, fair pay for, uh, for women or equal pay for women. Uh, but beyond that, after those two years passed, he had a very hard time getting mm -hmm. anything done mm -hmm. because he lost, or let me say, Democrats lost control of the House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. So it was much more difficult to negotiate you know, how to get things done. So I think Joe Biden recognizes this. I think Joe Biden has been in politics long enough. This goes back to the experience that we talked about yeah, uh, yeah, before. Yeah. He recognizes, I think, that he has a very short window of time to try to get as much done as he can so that his name can be placed on these things. And he, he can also say, listen, I got this done for the country. Interesting. Chris, thanks for your input um, about this topic. Yep, you're welcome.